Welcome to the world of stand-up. How you been? I've been good, man. Yeah? I've been good. Are you Supra? I am I am Supra all the way. Okay. Dude, your shit's popping. It's blowing up. I hope so. I mean, oh, I'm trying on, to... You know. Well... Humility's I mean, not your strong point, Johnny. We got it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ironically, man, I, I continue to put myself in rooms where I'm a small fish. Yeah. And so I do that. Obviously, because if I'm if I'm perceivably here, right? Not not that my value is any less, just maybe the results. Then I'm I, I can learn so much, but it also keeps me a little bit humble to know that like whoa, you know, there's so much more I could do. Yeah. So inevitably, though, you will be at the top of the heap. Are you ready for that? I'm ready, man. Okay. I, I mean, in my mind, I've been ready. I think that I've done the inner work where. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people sometimes have this uh, fear of success where if you really kind of take those layers off, I think that I, I believe that I've done that work and I'm ready for whatever's coming. I want to talk about that because I don't know if people, my opinion isn't that people fear success. I think they fear judgment and I, that the success brings judgment. And so they act like they're scared of success and that sabotages everything, which ironically is the worst form of judgment because it's self-judgment. I agree, dude, hundred percent. I think it's the same as when people fear failure. It's the same. Yeah. It's not the actual fa- failure that they fear. It's the judgment and criticism that might come with it. Same thing, success. So I always tell some of my clients who are who are not considering this, right? At some of our events that you've been to, we bring yeah. people to look at Ferraris and Lambos and some cool stuff. Which, by the way, those are why I bought my two cars. So right. thank you for that. You're welcome, man. <laughs> They're dope. And uh, you know, people go into this dealership and they've never really considered you know, sitting in one of those cars. And then all at once, they're like, that desire starts to build. But then I ask them to consider what it would feel like if they were to take that Lambo off the lot and drive to Thanksgiving at their parents' house, wherever that is, right? What, yeah. What's their sister going to say? What's their brother going to say? What's their grandma going to say? What's their parents who may have been middle class their whole life's going to say when you're driving a Lambo up to the private jet terminal and your life is completely different? So a lot of people, when they start to consider that, they get like this feeling of like, whoa, that's, that's, uh, that's yeah. different than who I am. And if they never become that, they'll never have that. Yeah. I'll, I'll share this story with you because it, it made me proud of my wife. Okay. So, um, you know, I do stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of my thing. And uh, I, I am not uh, the normal comic. Like I go into that room and I live a different life. I'll just put it that way by being nice. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten some shit from a lot of those comics from like – being considered ostentatious because of the lifestyle that I live and the ways that I've shown that. Mm-hmm. I had a friend of mine, that's a, he's a hilarious comic. He's going to be on the show at some point here in the near future. And uh, he came over a couple nights ago. Um, this was a week and a half ago. And he was kind of ribbing me a little bit about, look, we get it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be so brash about it. We right. get it, you know. And Amy fucking mama bared this shit. She's like, shut the fuck up, dude. Mm. People that don't achieve have that attitude. Mm-hmm. Like when you work your ass off to get to a point, you want to show it off because you don't think that it's the thing that you're showing off. That thing manifests all of the work, every risk you took, the decisions you had to make that scare the shit out of you. They accumulate to this point where now you have this different life and this different lifestyle with cooler toys and everything. And she was just like, yeah, you can sit back down. It was awesome. I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. I love that, man. I mean, look, we all work hard. We all have you know, different backgrounds. We have different stories. But when you put the work in and you achieve and you're just showing off your life, 
there that that's beautiful to people because what my hope is is people will aspire to become more because the world needs more winners, yeah. right? And what we get into when I look on social media feed, I, I see these people sharing how terrible their lives are, and it's almost like this competition of how much it sucks and how broke they are and how much you know pain they can endure. And I'm like, that's not helping anybody, right? And I, I just was in a room of. 55 you hanging out with Tim Tebow, weren't you? Yeah, 55 weekend? entrepreneurs. Tim Tebow was, was speaking, and a lot of people can say whatever they want about Tim Tebow. He gets a lot of hate for his beliefs and whatever, but he's fueled by purpose, right? And so in this room, there was 55 people, and we raised $1.7 million to save sex-trafficked girls. And in contrast, Tony Robbins, I love Tony Robbins. He had an event that had three, there was three to 5,000 people the same, the same weekend, and they put out a video showing that out of those people, they raised 1.2 million. So it took them three to 5,000 people to raise 1.2, where we did it with probably 30 donors. Yeah. And the beautiful part about this is like you can, like, if you're gonna make a difference in this world, you can't do it by not succeeding wildly. And so in this room, I got to see people writing ridiculous checks, right? And believe me, if you look at their homes and you look at their lives on Instagram, they got beautiful lives. But you know what else they're doing? They're making a difference. And so for me, that just like motivated me even further. It's like I left that thing and I'm like, John, you got to do more. Like you got to do so much more because you are capable. And I believe everybody's capable, but a lot of people have given up on that belief. You haven't. So like for you, you have to go do more, right? Because there's so many people out there that yes, they could do it if they would do it. But that belief is gone. You have the belief. I have the belief. So for me and you, it's like go time, right? And if we can tie it to whatever purpose for me, you know, like that touched my heart because I have a daughter. It's like, dude, I now have a number that is associated with a life. And now I know like if a life costs 1200 bucks, now, now I know every time I write a check how many girls' lives I'm changing. That's great, man. There's, there's something to be said for that that conversation of belief. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the big things that I learned in upgrade, I've talked a lot about upgrade on the show is, uh, you know, changes in behavior. Don't start by modifying your behavior, changing your behavior, start by modifying your identity. Mm. And, you know, personally speaking, one of the biggest challenges that I've been experiencing is, uh, trying to figure out how to blend all this together as a comic. Mm. Dude, doing stand-up comedy lights me up, dude. Yeah. It's the funnest thing in the world to be in front of a bunch of strangers and watching them like hold their guts because they're laughing so much. Like, yeah. It's a drug like I've never had before. And I don't know how to I don't know how like I I, I want to feel purpose filled and purpose driven on that, but sometimes I don't. Mm. So I do other things that have that and that just kind of gets to be the toy. But I also realize that if I do that right, I have way more like shadow to cast that's amazing in that way. Yeah. And anyway, I don't know why I'm bringing that up. It's more just like there's, I believe I can do it. I just don't know how yet. Yeah, dude. I mean, for you, I just want to give you props because like when I remember when you set out on this journey to be a stand-up comic yeah. and I don't know if you were good or not good oh, or I whatever. Sucked, right. So, so my point is, is like, I got the feeling through some of your posts that like, it was not, a, I, I never it's, thought it would be easy, but I know you went through it and like you believed in yourself enough for whatever reason, not to say that there wasn't any doubtful moments, 
but for whatever reason, you showcase this one step in front of the other to now you're funny as shit and you get a lot of people showing up to your shows, you're headlining. And it's like, I love that story more than someone who was just anointed to be like funny. And I don't actually believe that anybody is like, what people don't understand is how much work and how much doubt you had to go through yeah. and how much courage you had to have to get to this point. So there's that. But then I would say that if you find something, and Tim Tebow put it like, if you find something that breaks your heart in the world, right, where he's talking about these girls and I like associate that with my daughter who's four and a half. And then I'm like, my heart, like I have tears streaming down my face. And it's like, I feel purpose in Supra, right? I do. However, like I'm driven, like Supra is my ability to make a life for myself. But then it got layered this weekend where if, if I go bigger with that, then I'm able to fulfill other purposes that might not directly be related where I can then either A, donate some of my time or donate a big check where I know within that check and those numbers exactly how many lives I just saved. And once I write that check, it's like, dude, go win, go win more. And so I would say with your comic, you have the ability to build, build yourself a brand, you're touching people. And then if you layer that with some sort of other purpose, it's like, dude, that's fulfillment yeah. in my mind. Dude, that's, that's great advice, man. I hadn't considered the two of those, but it's, it's true. It's like life is, it's layered. Yeah. And it's, uh, it actually makes perfect sense because as I, you know, some of the lessons that I've, uh, the learnings as William would call them, is that you can be putting a bunch of attention over here in your life and not getting any sort of return out of that. But all of a sudden something over here will come in and completely show you the value that you're giving out energetically and reward you. So it's like, it's not a one-to-one. It's like, I can give to this. I can go into comedy. Comedy costs me money right now. Yeah. I don't make a ton of money on doing it. And, and the way that I want to do it, it costs. Mm -hmm. But everything over here is allowing that to be the thing. And then there's other stuff that's happening too. So I, And I've seen that with you and Supra. I've seen that with lots of people where it's like sometimes things just, just work out yeah. in an unexpected way. And it's kind of magical in a way. It is magical, man. It always starts with one step in front of the other. And I think that, you know... for. It's a journey too. Like the, the number one core value at Supra is always give yourself permission to win. And the reason it's give yourself permission to win is I, I see in the marketplace, just see people and it's like, they, they don't give themselves permission to win at all. It's like, they, they want to endure pain and suffering and they want, and for whatever reason, it's a competition, how much suffering they can endure. So, so the first step is giving yourself permission to win, right? And you've seen, I've seen your life and ironically, you were the first podcast that I had ever been on back in your big ass house in Sandy that day. I didn't yeah. know who you were. And here we are years later, yeah. right? And so I give you a lot of credit for a lot of stuff, but we've been through different parts. Like I've been through shutting gyms down. I've been through um, taking a PayPal loan out to pay my employees when I made zero. And so I went through the season of like grind and not very much result, right? And then all of a sudden I started to, you know, create some of that success and going such a long time without it, then it was like, oh, I got to buy the Bentley. I got to buy the, you know, G-Wagon. I got to buy the R8. I got to buy this watch. I'm in here wearing Dior shoes. And it's like, that's okay, right? That's okay. And so you almost, like, I, I see, I seen myself go through this where it's like, I need to, I need to have all this stuff because I deserve it. I want it, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But then I've seen people who've ascended that where it's like, okay, like they've, they've gone through that phase. Now there's, now it's like, how can I make this money matter? And I think that that's what this weekend that I just got through 
really kind of solidified because I was in that kind of gray area of like transitioning through, you know, the, this last two years of my life to like, okay, cool. Like that, that's super fun. And I'm super grateful, but like, what is this all for? And then, you know, I, I feel like people go through those layers and those processes. When, when, when do you think, do you have a specific pivotal moment where you realized that something shifted for you and you f- did finally give yourself permission to win? Yeah, it was upgrade. It was, we did, we did, you know, one of the exercises, parts integration, where um, I was just out of alignment unconsciously. So it was like, on one hand, I wanted to win very big, but on the other hand, I didn't feel deserving or worthy of it. And that's just programming from a very young age, right? Like I grew up middle class. I couldn't possibly conceive like what would happen if I was to, con- to, to um, succeed wildly. And in an instance, I felt that congruence take over my whole body with one of Williams' exercises. I had tears streaming down my face. I was like, dude, that was so weird. And I was just like, I went from being afraid of criticism and judgment and putting myself out there to just being 100% aligned and congruent with who I was. People can say whatever the fuck they want about me. And it's like, I know who I am and I'm going this way. And in that moment, business started to explode. Interesting. So it was just like it was immediate change. It was immediate change within. The results took, you know, kind of a lag time of, you know, there's marketing and skill set that is sure. also involved there. Um, but really, really quickly, I was able to then put myself on camera, do the podcast. There was a shift in my podcast for like yeah. 75 episodes. It was like I was up in my head and, you know, if there was a lag time of what I wanted to say to what came out of my mouth because I was considering, you know, in that microsecond what somebody might think of it to like, here I am, this is who I am, and I'm 100% okay with it. I love me, and nobody can do me better than me, so I'm just going to rip it. And as soon as that came out, came across on camera, in social, in my writing, in my video, the marketing kind of took off, and that was, that was the thing. Hmm. Okay. I like that. I, I've, I've had this thought, and I want to kind of pick your brain about this. Um, you know, a lot of the work that uh, is done at Upgrade, and Upgrade's not the only organization that does this, but they're one of the best ones, mm-hmm. relative to, like, you know, subconscious programming. When intellectually you start to think about, like, what makes up your day-to-day, the thoughts that you have, why did you park in that parking spot, why did you choose those clothes, what's the process for you, like, when you shower, what do you wash first? Like, there's all this automatic shit that's just really low level mm-hmm. that make up our behaviors, Right. But then it also gets deeper into why we would or wouldn't invest money in ourselves or why we wouldn't or would or wouldn't allow ourselves to get into a certain room or to make the phone call or the try to close the sale, whatever it is. I've noticed that with a lot of that parts and integration stuff, that sometimes when a program gets pulled out, that it leaves a void. Mm. And sometimes other programs can kind of collapse in on that void a little bit. And you still got to go back in and fix some of that stuff because you got multiple things happening that are fucking with you. Mm-hmm. And you pull one big one out and it works for a little bit. And then some things kind of tweak. I noticed that after the first upgrade for me because mm-hmm. I had my biggest month ever six weeks after that, that first thing last uh, November when mm-hmm. it was. And then Doubt started coming back in, and I started getting in my head about stupid shit. And that's when I had my, I, I bought my car, and I was all excited. And then the, the wear off of the car, and I made that first payment, and I'm like, <laughs> fuck, okay, I'm in it yeah, now. Yeah, and it, yeah. like all this stuff started kind of rattling with me again. And I remember talking to Michael about it, and he kind of shared with me, you know, well, this is this. And he, you know, we walked through the resolution formally and other things. But I was wondering if, if that had been an experience that you'd had as well, where like, so, it's not just like there's eight programs, there's like a fucking shitload of them. 
And you got to be actively pursuing that sort of mental acuity and that congruence all the time. I didn't get it at first when uh, William would say that, like, you know, we can integrate your conscious and your subconscious. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and we can do it again. I'm like, well, why would you need to do it again? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I know now why. Yeah. Because your brain's like fucking with you the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, I notice instantaneous change, but at the same time, like faith is a verb, right? And right. so walking, like walk in faith, right? And and it doesn't mean that like I never have doubt come up. It means that I always look at this like video games, like you're on level one. You can't beat the boss at the end of level one, right? Until you beat them. And then it's like, oh, I know what to do. Like level one isn't, isn't scary anymore. Now you're at level two, Right. And so for me, like I accelerated really, really quickly, like you did. But then I got to a point that was kind of hitting my new comfort zone. Right. And so I have to remind myself because sometimes, like, William is one of the most visionary people. And I have the chance to know him really well. And we, you know, he lives, he lives in Scottsdale now, like I do. And so we hang out a lot. But he'll like say some stuff and I'll be like, dude, this guy is completely bananas, like how, how he thinks so, so big, right? And I'm a big thinker. So in conversation, sometimes I'll feel that, like that pushes me very uncomfortable. And like those doubts will start flooding in. I'm like, uh, I know I can do this, but like that is like a whole, a whole new level. And so I would just tell people watching or listening, like this is a continuous process. It's not like you take one red pill and it's like, that's it for the rest of your life. You're like, on a daily dose. You are on a daily <laughs> dose and you have to have faith and courage over and over and over again, right? But the, the, the stuff in the beginning that was holding us like hostage, like you can break those chains and you can fly for a bit and you just have to keep reminding yourself, you know, you know the process, you know how to do it, but it doesn't mean you do it once and like, that's it. Dude, as you, as you were describing that, I had this thought of like, there's like a bird in a cage. And yeah. Then- you break out of the cage, and it's just a bigger cage. Mm-hmm. You got more, and then there's a bigger cage. Yep. Like you're always gonna, you're always gonna be in some sort of cage. It would seem until you're not, obviously. But like it just gets bigger because one of the things that has been a big surprise for me, and I, intellectually, I always understood it. It's like when you talk about limiting beliefs surrounding, for example, money. Mm-hmm. You know, you you'll have a certain belief set at fifty grand a year, and it will be different when you're at fifty grand a month, mm-hmm. and it will be different at fifty five hundred thousand a month. Mm-hmm. But when you're in those spaces, you don't realize that because you're in the thick of like, well, I like this space. I'm going to keep going. Or maybe you don't like the space when you're broke. But I found that to be interesting that, that like it, it, the video game analogy is perfect. Every level has similar challenges. Your skill set to handle those challenges makes it easier or more difficult to handle. But there's always going to be some sort of doubt. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be a, a moment where you have to act in spite of fear. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be a moment where you have to bet on yourself and realize I could lose, mm-hmm. but I could also win. Right. And then there is going to be a moment where you win. Mm-hmm. And you have to know how to handle winning. That's been something that's been really curious to me too, is like watching some people don't know how to handle winning. Right. That's why they are that's one of the things they're afraid of. It's like they get into a spot where like they should be top of the world, loving everything, and they just can't handle the win. Yeah. And then they talk shit on themselves and they sabotage it. And then it becomes the story that they tell, Oh, I used to do that. I had this one thing. Yeah. And then they don't do it again. Yeah, man, I do that. I mean, it's it's there's so many little micro programs that you're going to have to go through as that ascension happens. One, I mean, one of them, like you just said, is like those different monetary values that you hit on a monthly basis. Like whatever that number is for people watching, right? That there's a number that would be like, whoa, that would be awesome, right? My first number was 100k a month. When I hired William and wrote him that check, it was like he's like, what do you want? What would make this the most thing? 
the most worth it thing you've ever spent money on. And I was like, 100K a month. Came out of my mouth before he could even finish the sentence. Because to me, that was like, dude, I'm balling. There's no more problems. Like, how could I possibly have any problems if I was making that much money? Right. And it's like, little did I know, like, you, we hit that number and it's like, oh, they're like, okay, those other problems kind of disappeared, but there's new ones. Yeah. Right? Well, when you make the kind of money, everything costs more too. <laughs> yeah, dude. And my taste costs more, everything. But the point is, is like, you got to make that number small. Yeah. That's why I need to hang around people who, you know, have been ridiculously more successful than me. In the room, just barely, there was this couple, they're 30 years old. They were in the fitness industry. They had a company. Um, the, the woman was the face, the dude, the husband was uh, kind of the operations behind the scenes. And I think they just sold this company for a hundred million. Wow. And 30 years old, 30 years old. That's awesome. Right. And, and so it's like, they're asking me about my business and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, I thought like, I thought I was a big shot. I thought my watch was dope. That dude's watch had, you know, was way doper. And I was like, you know, and they were, they were, they were just sharing like, and giving free advice. Right. And I was like, Whoa, you know, like whatever number I thought like, like I was balling on, like is this small. And for me, that's so helpful to like, be around people where you're not top dog. But the problem is, is like most people want to be that leader and they want, they want kind of to be the alpha in the room. And I just know, I know myself, the the biggest growth has come when whatever number in my head, I think I'm doing good at kind of gets squashed in a moment's time. Cause it's like that belief just got blown up about what's possible. Cause I'm like, dude, those guys did it right. Like there's no reason I can't do it. I'm just not executing at whatever level they executed at, right? I think it's good to be both. I think that to have moments in your life where you are the top dog, yeah. but that's a smaller piece, and then you have the ones where you're like the small fish in the bigger pond. I think that for, like, I know for me that I've, I've learned better how to follow being a leader mm-hmm. because I see the different struggles of, you know, people that I'm associated with, whether it be podcast clients or because I still do consulting clients and where I'm like, oh, I'm in a position there of like helping them as a mentor of sorts. And I really relish those moments because it allows me to self-reflect on if I'm preaching something that I'm actually doing Mm -hmm. or not. And if it's still good advice and I'm not, it's an immediate feeling of incongruency. And I'm like, I got to change that shit Mm -hmm. right away because advice isn't bad. I just got to be a better you know, vessel. While at the same time, then like associating with people that are just balling out. Mm-hmm. And just like realizing like that mindset, like being around that mindset is an energetic like attraction. It's like, dude, you gotta how be, do you get there, man? You got to be tough too. Yeah, you, gotta, you do. You got to be tough because like a lot of people walk into those rooms and they shrink into the into the back seat in the corner and feel like they have nothing. They have no value, dude. I'm value. Like I can walk into a room of you know a person who's you know sold a company for a hundred million or five hundred million, and I'm like, I know I'm value right? I am value. So I'm not going to shrink in the back and act like I'm just some little idiot that has nothing to provide to the group. I just know as far as results are concerned monetarily, and that doesn't, that has no, that's not about who I am, that they're not actually better as a human than me. They've just known something and executed better in business, right? And I can kind of separate that where I think a lot of people aren't tough enough to be in those rooms because it's like their ego gets smacked. They they sit in the corner and they're like, oh, I'm an idiot. Like, I, I don't know anything. And I'm like, you know, and so yeah. I, th- I think that you have to have that leadership quality where you can go into rooms and know that, you know, you're valuable no matter what result you're getting. You can take from the group, but you can also provide value. And like you said, there's almost like, I look at myself in the middle because I have groups that I'm mentoring and they're like, they're aspiring. They want to be where I'm at. 
So I'm helping them come up here, but I'm also like pulling from people above here. And I think that that's kind of a beautiful thing to always be in the middle. Like you said, it's like hang out with people who are completely ballers in that area, but then also help the people who want to be like you. Dude, I, I, uh, I kind of learned how to hack that system, dude. Yeah. It's make, making them laugh. Dude. Dude, put me in a room of fucking super ballers. I'll be the one they're, they're talking to because they're all going to be rolling. Laughter is amazing, dude. Dude, it's so powerful. Yeah. And I, I think that that has been a part of my development as I stopped, like, I stopped shunning that as a, as a gift that I have. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. That's a superpower for you. So for you knowing that, it's like put you in any room and you can use your skill set with rapport and other other stuff, laughter yeah. to, to be, you know, someone of value, but also somebody that like wants to give you a hug and be like, what can I do for you? Yeah. It's an endearing thing. Well, this is something that not a lot of people realize. And this, this boggles, this, this boggles my mind. So if you look at, you know, listen to Ted talks or speeches or whatever, uh, people like to use, uh, dramatic, um, stories and, and trauma and things like that to, to, to bind the listener into the moment, like mm-hmm. to emotionally get them into the moment. They tell the, the rags to riches story. They tell the, I overcame the whatever. And it's always this emotional sort of pull because you're sitting in there and you're just like, you're in it, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at the brain science associated with that, it does that. It pulls you in. But you know what does it 10 times better than that? Laughter. Mm. That's why you can remember comedy bits you heard as a kid because it puts it both in short-term and long-term memory when you're laughing while you're learning. Mm-hmm. And so the most impeccable way, truly impeccable way to get people to remember and learn is by keeping them laughing. And it's like, it's not any more difficult to learn how to make people laugh than it would be to tell a really dramatic story. It's just, it's more intimidating for some people, which is interesting to me. Well, it is, it, it is. I mean, humor is a skill. Like people that do it beautifully can be serious and all of a sudden drop something that's yeah. like, Super hilarious. Like in the group, we had an interview style um, where we were like, you know, asking each other questions. And then we were asked to share like one gift that was that, that we got from the partner. Right. right? And uh, everybody got up. And the first person that went was like, I was with Bryce. I just want to tell you, he's the, he, he's the greatest partner there is in the group. And everyone's like, haha, you know, it's funny. And so then everybody started to do it. Like, nah, my, my partner's the greatest. Yeah. And then this uh, one guy, he's like, you know, and I know you, all of you guys said that your partner was the greatest. I'll just say, like, this guy right here is extremely average. And, like, the room just busted <laughs> because we thought it was going one yeah. way in that redirect, right? And it's just, like, laughter when, when people aren't, you know, expecting it. It's, yeah. It breaks the ice, draws you in. You instantly like that person, right? And I think that— It's called the left turn, yeah. But you got to be smart. You can't be the yeah. class clown. Right. right, Like you can go into a room and someone's like, oh, I'm funny. And they're just like class clown about it. It's like you get some laughs, but you don't get the respect. You have an ability to get the laughs and then, you know, be a wise sage at the same time and have a deep conversation. And I think the combination of that is dynamic. Well, dude, that's where, that for me is where like the real opportunity for true laughter is, is like to be in the moment of something really serious and you're telling a story and are you having a, you know, some sort of anecdote or whatever. And then you just take that little left turn and they're not seeing it come mm-hmm. at all. And yeah. it's, just, it's awesome. Yeah. Right. And, and some com- comics or people who try to be funny or are even funny is always at the expense of themselves. Yeah. And so it's like you, you, you do it really well where you're not, I don't like do that. Th- I don't like it either. I know? think it's, I think it's cheap. Yeah. I think like <laughs> I did write a bit about this and Amy was, I've never done it. I guess it seems douchey, but like you go to comedy shows and like the fat guy's talking about how fat he is and the ugly guy's talking about how ugly he is and everything. And, and like, 
I've been like, what am I going to talk about, man? How great my abs are? Like yeah. how big my dick is, dude? Like what the fuck, you know? <laughs> should, should I just like <laughs> just fucking it? lay it out, guys? Like, hey, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's got a bigger vein here than yours. Like, but I can't, I don't, I, I really pay attention to like how I say the words that I say, yeah. even when they're funny. And sometimes there's self-deprecation. For sure. Because it's, I don't believe the self-deprecation. Yeah. But a lot of times like comedians will be talking shit on themselves. Like the fat guy, he knows he's fat. He saw himself this morning yeah. in the mirror. And it was gross. And now he's going to joke about it. You can't tell me, bro, that you actually think you're great. So anyway, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's very helpful. But at the same time, like I've noticed, it's been a cool sort of exercise because as I, I've, I've, I've doing, I, I do what you do, I do what other people do. Like you look at the people that are at the top of the game and you mm -hmm. copy what they do. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's a sincere form of flattery when mm -hmm. you borrow what they're doing right. And I've been able to make some friends with some of the biggest comedians in the planet. And they will tell me, dude, if you keep doing this, it will work this way. Comedy is really top heavy when it comes to like the people that are fucking crushing mm -hmm. and they murder. And then there's a bunch of mediocre shit in the middle. And then there's a massive sea of bottom fillers. Mm -hmm. And the only difference truly in the top and the bottom is belief and execution. Mm. Probably across every, dude, every some vertical. Of the funniest people that I've ever met, you'll never know because they don't have the mindset to be able to put themselves in a position to be heard. Mm. Could be a worthiness, could be a deservingness. All of it. All of it. All of it, dude. And that makes me sad because there is a part of, just like with everything, like there's certain talents that you come with, as, that you're born with, and then others that you can develop. And mm -hmm. then if you're even, if you're wise, you develop your talents that you're given you and become truly great and masterful at them. In comedy, in business, there's so many people that like have a natural knack and then they fuck it up. They just don't allow themselves to succeed. I think it's important too because, I mean, when we talk about this stuff, it's not like you're driving down the road and are, are consciously saying like, I don't deserve this or I'm not worthy, right? It, it, it's the stuff. That's a shitty declaration. <laughs> it's the stuff that was, was programmed into you somehow. And it could have been from the time you were zero to seven or seven to 14, but there, there was a decision and a belief that was created that then is the mechanism driving all the behaviors, which you were talking about. And it yeah. could be like, you know, for whatever reason, your, your parents, you know, weren't there or like didn't show up to your games or didn't care enough to go to the dance recital. And you're like, I don't deserve, like, I don't, I don't even deserve this from my parents. I don't deserve anything from the world. And that belief like w was inserted or programmed in at a time when you didn't know any better. And then as an adult, 35, 45, 55 year old dude or chick, you're like, your life is being directed because you never did, did the work necessary to go to that origination of that belief, work it out so that you do feel deserving. And it's just such so a, true. like, I, I feel for people knowing this, how this actually works now. It's like the message of someone screaming into this camera or like yelling at, you know, just be like, do more. Like the coaches are like, do more. All you got to do is blah, blah, blah. They're not considering that there's some, there, there's a reason why that person's not doing that thing. And yeah. so when, as a coach, like what I really love is that we get the chance to go back to the root and then the rest of the stuff is easy, whether that's in fitness or the same thing could be said for business or comedy. Yeah. My, uh, it's, it's been interesting for me because like, uh, just, you know, sharing some personal stuff. You know, my parents, um, they still live together, but they're divorced now. Mm. And uh, they'd been married for 48 years when this all happened. Mm -hmm. And they both, they, they tried couples therapy for a little bit, and now they're in individual therapy. I had a conversation with my mom last night. It was the first one I'd had in several weeks, just full disclosure. Like, it's heavy to talk to them through mm. that. And sometimes I just like, I got to protect my shit, man. I'm not in the mood to yeah. do this right now. 
But I had a great conversation with her and I could see this transition in her of like self-awareness where it was changing, where she was looking at the past decades of her life and realizing key moments where she didn't do the thing that was best for her mm-hmm. or didn't. And same with my dad, like my dad didn't do the thing that he knows he should have done. And that the accumulation of all of that over the years created it to where 48 years into a marriage, they were looking at each other and go, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And that's pathetic. Mm-hmm. And it's sad. It is. And you know, when you consider you don't have to wait that long. Mm-hmm. That's why it's been something that it's 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 so important for you to take your own development and your own success in your own hands. Mm-hmm. Don't wait for somebody else. Like you're not gonna be crowned by somebody else. You don't need to get the promotion to be considered successful. Fucking go do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. Like what do you want? I remember when I you know first started upgrading, I did those lists, right? The hundred list of experiences that that was really challenging because I got to 20 or 30 down there. I'm like, well, fuck, I don't know. Yeah. And you have, you, I started like breaking through this, like, well, I don't need that. That would be what I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm-hmm. Need? This ain't right. about need, bro. And the, the, the coming from a, I think it was called a, a witness perspective in my mind mm-hmm. where I'm witnessing my thoughts. I'm witnessing the responses to my thoughts. And I'm like, wow, bro. Yeah. That's the most unhealthy shit I've ever seen. Man. That, that, that one exercise is so big for people because I was the same as you. It's like almost like I, I had this sense of virtue by getting to 20 and not needing anything else. Yeah. And it's like, dude, I, like I have everything, man. I, I got love, love that sense of virtue. I'm so much better. <laughs> yeah. I need more. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I don't need, I don't need five cars. Right. And then like you go to the list and it's like, well, if you could have whatever you wanted, then you could have 20 cars if you wanted to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that exercise really challenges people because it, it pushes you up against your boundary to, to feel deserving, to expand the possibility of, of what if, you know. I've noticed too that when you see others that are doing that ostentatiously in a way, mm-hmm. it pushes that too. Like I've looked at William, like, what does he have, like 11 cars now or some shit? 11, dude. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, I'm uncomfortable for him. And Me that's too. the weirdest thing ever. I'm like, yeah, yeah. why would I give a shit about what this guy does with his money? Like, but I, I don't know nothing about other than the fact that he gets everything he wants. Same, dude. I mean, yeah. I'm in proximity to him, and I'm like, dude, like, what are you going to do with all these cars? Like, yeah, that's stressing me I've out. I've been to their house now. Like, he needs that other one to be finished soon so he could park him somewhere. I'm like, dude, like, you're stressing me out. Like, how, how often do you drive the car now that's in? The, he's like, oh, I dr- like, haven't drove it in two months. I'm like, yeah. I mean, the cool part is it. The cool part, like, I'm, I'm inspired by his ability yeah. to, like, live what he teaches. Oh, right? And sure. it's broken my mindset wide open, which is been incredible for business relationship and multiple other things. I love that, dude. What the, I've never, as, as, a, as a friend of yours, I've never asked this, like what, this is kind of an off topic, but it's not really. What makes you laugh? Like what do you find funny? Man, what is, uh, what is funny, man? Like I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> this is hilarious for me right now. You're like, I'm, oh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, thinking about different movies and, uh, you know, ones that have just kind of like rocked my world. You know, one of the one of the funniest comedians that I think I've ever watched like a comedy routine and just died over is Martin Lawrence. That dude cracks me up He's for whatever same. reason. Yeah. There was a movie, Nothing to Lose. Yeah. I watched that thing probably 50 times. And that dude is just hilarious. In He's that still movie. funny. He's yeah. I mean, so like from movie perspectives, I, I probably find stuff that's funny, like a lot of other people find. But there's, you know, that that one sticks out. And then, you know, Wedding Crashers is is one that I could watch 500 times. Vince Vaughn 
is is like I just want to I want to hang out with Vince Vaughn yep. for a weekend, dude. Yeah. And and that dude just looking at him makes me laugh. He's the best, dude. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, I I heard that like on his line sometimes it's just complete off the cuff whatever he yeah. he wants to say. Is that true? Yeah. Well, and and he's a he does stand up as well. People don't know this. Yeah. He actually had a this was, I want to say, four or five years ago. He had a tour that he sponsored that was like a bunch of really great comedians that was like the Vince Vaughn stand-up comedy tour. And yeah. He went around all the country. I don't know what he's doing more. I, I know that he got kind of, he kind of ruffled some feathers in Hollywood because he's a conservative. Yeah. And Good for uh, him. you can't be that in Hollywood. And, <laughs> Good for him. Go, Vince. I'll buy all your shit now. I'll buy all your shit. So, like, yeah. they get, you know, let's they, go, baby. <laughs> let's go. You know, you know dude, I, that question's funny because I had this realization hanging out with a mutual friend, I think, Keith. Yaki, dude, he's the best, dude. dude. I mean, I didn't know you knew him. Yeah, and I, I, yeah. And so I know that now I know the story, but I got to hang out with him uh, after being on his show, and yeah. we just hit it off, dude. We after the show, he took me to this place where it's a Monday. Did and, you get you drunk, dude? Yeah, we're drinking, <laughs> we're drinking espresso martinis at two in the afternoon, and we're yep. dropping them, dude. And and yeah. then then he takes me into his house, and uh, he's like, "You ever rode one of these bikes?" And he Got, gets me on an electrical bike yeah. and he's doing this weird shit with his knee and his short shorts and I'm rolling dude because I, in that moment I I was around somebody who had the ability to like just live yeah. and I realized like I'm actually a serious person like I'm I'm almost too serious and my wife is is very much similar to me and so when we hang around people like that then we ended up going to going out in Laguna with him and his wife and uh, we end up at a Taco Bell at Midnight. I haven't had Taco Bell in ten years, bro. And we're eating gorditas and shits going everywhere. And uh, I, I just like. Did he and, take you into the gummy tent? No, dude. He asked me if I wanted one. I said, dude, I don't really <laughs> mess with that shit. But um, it, it just like being in moments like that and, la- and like laughing and just not having to be anywhere and just being in the moment, like that's a gift. And so when certain people, I see that and I acknowledge, like, dude, that that has something to teach me to just kind of let go of the seriousness and the heaviness sometimes. And just be, dude. He's one of the greatest at doing that, man. Yeah, dude. I, I he's, I he's felt such that. a high value man. Yeah, he's sharp as a tack, mm-hmm. and he's funny as fuck. Yeah, and he's just a good person. Yeah, like I'll get these. I he's 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 truly one of my friends. Like it's not like oh we're friendly. Like Keith is my dude, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll get these just sweetest videos that he'll send me. Like I was just thinking about you, man. Yeah. And he'll and, and it'll like just warm me up, and I'll do the same back to him. You know, and I produced his show for fuck years. Yeah. He's had several that he's done. And uh, it's 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 one of those like client relationships that supersedes the client. It's like he's my buddy. Mm-hmm. I would fucking do anything. Well, like, same with you. It's like everybody knows. Like this is true in my team. Everybody knows whatever John Matson needs, he gets. If his <laughs> the- fucking shit comes in late on a Sunday, you're fucking getting it out, dude. Yeah. Same with Keith, dude. It's like Yaki's the man. We're good. You get this now. For all you cl- other clients, if you want to aspire to that level, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> Get your shit on time. Yeah, get it on time. No, but but there's there's certain like things there that that are just it's a special, you know. And he's been he's been a really big supporter of my stand up. Like he'll he'll be like, dude, send me your videos. Let me help you chop this up, and, and I'll I'll send him stuff, and he'll give me great feedback as far as my my stand up. I've been busting his balls lately though, because I've been like, bro, where the fuck is the John and Nin episode, man? When's I got to see B- Married Game. Like they they were on your show. What the hell, man? He's like, no, no, we had a thing with the audio. It's coming. It's coming. Like he's getting some guy to fix it. Oh no! Well, dude, Keith, we'll do it again, man. Okay. Yeah. No, it's. Uh, I, I I've been like very aware of you know people in my life showing up. Yeah. Right where 
whether it's you or anybody. And if I'm aware, there's always, there's always a gift. And so when I met Keith and his wife, it was like, that was the gift, right? Like that was, that was me being shown somebody who could be supremely present and, and live in the moment and not be so serious. And I truly take stuff from other people. Well, I try to now really be aware because it's like, I can learn stuff from you. Like I can learn stuff from Keith. I can learn stuff from whoever. But I, I think that most people are going through life with their eyes closed and their, you know, their ears shut. And it's like, you're not learning anything because you're not paying attention. And I, I used to be like that, right? Yeah. I was like so self-centered on like me. I wasn't, I wasn't observing other people enough. So I, I think that just observing the gift like can enhance your life a lot. That's a great thing like that you're, you're bringing up and that's great advice. Like just observe more, be more present, look around, listen more mm-hmm. like allow yourself to just be the fly on the wall for even just a moment yeah not not like not retract or you know close yourself off but just like be present and listen watch see how things are moving there's so much that you can learn that way and guys like that i mean i know you met garrett j white as well like guys like that are just a treasure trove of those mm. experiences man because they live at such a high level and my let i mean right? he's truly interested yeah right most people are in a conversation and they're like Oh, I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. And it's like, you're talking, I'm not even paying attention. You can tell when people are like that, right? You're talking yeah. and their eyes are, you know, glazed over. They're on their phone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, if when you're interested in somebody, it's like, man, there's, there's and, and truly observant, there's just a treasure chest of, of learning lessons that you can take. Yeah, dude, it's fucking great. Um, well, I know you you uh, you had a little bit of a time limit. One of the one of the fun things we do on the show is we have a current event segment where we talk some shit. Okay. Producer B is going to give us some ideas of what we could talk about, and then uh, we're going to kind of banter a little bit about Let's it. Let's do Are it. You man. game? I'm game, man. Okay. What you got, B? Well, for me, probably some of the most prominent news over the weekend: Tom Brady and Gronkowski were were locked and supposed to go to Oakland, and John Gruden blew it up at the last second. Is that true? Confirmed. When was this? What like what time? This was during the fights. So in 2020, when Tom Brady was signing, he did the HBO shop where he's like, "You're gonna keep that mother effort over me." Everybody's thinking it's Derek Carr and the Oakland Raiders because Dana White had the deal done. Tom Brady was looking for stuff, and at wait, the wait, last moment, how did moment, Dana White have the deal done? Because Dana's friends with Brady. Okay, got it. Vegas. The team was moving to Vegas first year. Okay, convincing Brady to come. Gronk was gonna come. ESPN was running a simulcast of the fights called the Gronks, and they had Dana White as a guest on the show during during the prelims of the Salt Lake fight. And Gronk's like, you remember when I was supposed to come to Vegas and spilt all the beans and Dana White had to come out and confirm it? No idea. No idea. And so, Could you imagine? You're a Raider. You're a former Raider. I am, man. And, uh, I mean, Tom Brady has defied all odds. You know, I was, I was the he's guy. He's, 56 now? Is that what you said? Yeah, 56, <laughs> complete dad bod, doesn't give a fuck. You know, he... Different guy. You know, that, that's Dante Culpepper, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, dude. You look up Tom Brady. He's on the beach with Giselle, and you're just like, dude, this dude's won seven Super Bowls, man. He's yeah. he's pliable in his own words. But I was the guy who, when he went to Tampa in the first place, I was like, dude, like that was Belichick's system. You know, of course Brady was Tom Brady, but he had Wes Welker and all the all the stuff. Like he's old, man. I'm like, I was not betting on Tampa, but to see him go to Tampa and win another ring, I was just like, okay, like I was a hundred percent wrong. That dude is is well, dude. He he. It was inspiring because he was the one that changed the culture in Tampa. Yeah, he's like, well, we're not fucking around here, boys. Yeah, dude. To think that they could have been a Raider though, that 
I know. I know, man. I can't. Walking I through the encore and you see Tom Brady hanging out at the blackjack high roll table. Dude, I've seen Gronk at pool parties, man. That dude knows how to have fun. So, I mean, being in Vegas, that would be a so it would be a scene. Gronk and Tom have the same diet, right? Like they totally. Yeah, bro. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Tom has a book on nutrition and stuff, yeah. and you know who knows, but you know, Gronk he, has a pamphlet. Gronk, dude. I just remember. <laughs> I just remember Gronk being in like. Gym shorts and a cutoff shirt at this pool party out in Scottsdale. Like I think I was thirty years old, and I wanted to hate on him because like I was out. You know, they the league told me I wasn't good enough, and so I was trying to prove that to myself in the moment that like I didn't need the NFL to be dope. And so I'm at the swimming pool trying to like flex up on everybody, and everybody was so enamored with Gronk. I'm like I'm gonna and I go to his table, and there's you know chicks everywhere and just a whole bunch of people, you know, wanting to be around Gronk. And I just remember him wearing some Reeboks that were like size 19s. And I was like, fuck Gronk, dude, who gives a shit? <laughs> and uh, anyways, we ended up kind of partying by, by their side and phenomenal dude. dude. You, you, to bring it full circle, Gronk is the Keith Yaki of the NFL, bro. Just has fun, man. He just has fun. Yeah. And he's a fucking stud. Like he's got the numbers. Dude, I, I love I love watching those videos of him like celebrating and stuff. Just li- living life, man. It, there's something. His whole family is a bunch of monsters, man. Yeah. Like, dude, and he's like, I mean, I walk in here, I'm six five and you know somewhat athletic. Gronk is just somewhat a big, athletic. Fuck out of here, dude. Gronk is Gronk is just a a supremely like giant man. Dude. Yeah. Like I'm telling you, his shoes were like size 19. I'm like, I don't know how he runs with those shits. I wonder if he would ever get into fighting, like as a UFC, because he'd be a monster of a heavyweight if he could land a punch dude who would want to get punched in the face like that man there's a bunch of them that are in that league <laughs> i know i wouldn't there's a there's a fighter named shane carville he literally had like his fist or his hands were about the size of a baseball man yeah he was a ufc heavyweight like so when he would hold us when he would, it was legitimately like what's a size a lunchbox okay no, that's what it was. They nicknamed his hands the lunchboxes because, like, it was the size of a fucking lunchbox. Like, imagine that thing hitting you. Mm. No, Dude, thanks. I mean, I went to my first UFC live event. It wasn't in Salt Lake. It was in San Diego. And uh, I was just thinking about, crazy, like, entering the ring. And, I mean, there's now, now there's tons of chicks fighting, too. And I'm just, like, thinking about entering the ring like a savage. And I'm like, dude, that takes an amount of courage that you couldn't even consider. Like, I remember being in Oakland, like, you know, we got the silver and black on. We're at the old Coliseum. The the brick, like, before you go out to the stadium, like, the security would hold you back and let us know when it was time. And as soon as, like, Hell's Bells came on over the loudspeakers, we could run out. Mm-hmm. But we're, like, it, it was almost like a gladiator feel. Like, it was bricks on both sides, just, like, you know, brick walls. And there'd be, like... I just remember some of our old linemen that were like six, seven, super long hair, tatted up everywhere. And the feeling like in that moment, adrenaline just like bubbling, right? Yeah. And, you know, some of the guys were like smashing their heads against the the brick walls. It's like, dude, we're going out there to battle, <laughs> right? But that's, that's a different level from yeah. going into a cage where you're fighting somebody. And yeah. then in between, you know, in between rounds, they're hugging each other, and it's it's an art form to them. Yeah. I shit, dude. Like I like my face. I Do you know who uh, Brendan Schaub is? Does that name ring a bell? Yeah, yeah, comedian and yeah. fighter. Yeah, yeah. So he he's talked about that a lot. That like it was terrifying. Yeah. Every time that it was time to go into that ring, like he's puking. Like he's like he knows that he, if he doesn't puke, he's fucked. Like he's like I gotta puke. Mike Tyson said he he would cry. Yeah. And he wanted to run out. Terrified. Yeah. And it's like. 
as a fan, we don't ever have access to that level of intensity of emotion. Like if you think about it, like we can, we can subject ourselves in our imaginations to what we might think it would be based off of the data of what it could mm -hmm. be. But dude, just the, the sheer terror of going to just like, you're trying to break this man. Mm -hmm. And the, the Brendan talked about it, like the, the dance of your morality, mm -hmm. because you're legitimately trying to truly hurt him, mm -hmm. but you don't want to hurt him. Right. But I got to hurt him. Yeah. Like that dance. And it's like, Ooh, that's nuts, man. Dude, it's crazy. I mean, even going back to the NFL stuff, like I, Every time we'd have a game, I'd be in the car or like we'd have, if we were away, we'd have police escorts. We'd be in the bus and, you know, they'd have like five police cars taking us to the stadium. And I'm just like, why do I even do this to myself? Yeah. Right? It's like the, 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 uh, the fear, the exhilaration is like there, there's an adrenaline. And then you saw the game rush. check. You're like, oh, I remember now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, <laughs> but when you're in there, like, I mean, as soon as you're playing the game, it's all good. Yeah. But it's that lead up moment. And so I always, like when I was at the fight, I'm just like looking at their faces. I'm like, they're putting on a brave face, but they are terrified walking into that yeah. ring. Or you know, even like Mike Tyson, when he was the most dominant fighter in the world, he will say that he was terrified too. So yeah. it's just a universal emotion. It's a, there's a reason why uh, there's a lot of kind of these men's coaches that are out there, it's Rogan's, Joe Rogan's one, he's not a men's coach, but he talks about this. He says that if you really want to learn how to calm your mind, learn to fight. Mm. Like take jujitsu, karate, boxing, whatever, like get into combat mm -hmm. because there's something that changes in your account. He's like, and he's, he's, he goes, the most calm motherfuckers you will ever meet on this world are the ones that could kill you with their hands. Mm. He's like, they just don't, they're easy peasy. Like they yeah. know what they can do. Yeah. Like learning how to control the savage. Yeah. You know, Jordan Peterson talks about that. He like quotes Carl Jung and he's like, which is more dangerous? You know, the the wolf that uh, that is that controls what it is, or the domesticated house dog. And it's like, dude, the domesticated house dog is way more dangerous because it's a piece of shit. It doesn't know what it can do. The wolf that controls it, at least he knows where he's at. You know? mm, so it's good. I mean, think about it even like going back to school or or you know, in your youth, it's like the bullies usually have the loudest mouths, yeah. right? And it's like they're they're screaming their insecurity out, but it works on most people because it's like it scares them, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, that guy's really confident or whatever. And as you get older, you start to realize that it's those guys that are probably the most insecure. Oh, for sure. Right? And the good part is you get to see him when you go buy your In-N-Out burger because he's the one at the fry <laughs> counter. But that's Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, what else you got, B? Well, just with the UFC continuing the trend, Leon Edwards, probably the greatest head kick to finish Kamara Usman in UFC gnarly, history. Dude. Dana White's already talking about bringing the fights back to Salt Lake. I think that kind of cemented Salt Lake being around in the UFC due to the so just what it is. And the Drake curse continues because he put 200K on Usman to win the fight, and he got knocked out with the Drake second. curse. Yeah. So, so Drake, Drake, Drake bet, bet on him. Drake bets, and then Drake bets, and most of the time, the teams that he bets on loses. Mm. Except, I feel, yeah, I feel for Drake, man. I felt like uh, I, I went through this gambling. Were season. you a degenerate gambler for a while? For a minute after I was done, I w started getting into like gambling on college football. Okay. And uh, I mean, not a lot of not a lot of money, but enough to like really you know scare you a little, a little bit. bit, right? Yeah. And so I don't gamble at all anymore because of it. And I felt like Drake, man. It was like I would. I remember betting on this game and, and like long story short, I had Florida state by 17 over like Maryland or something game that I couldn't give a shit about, but I bet on it. So I'm watching it and Florida's up by like 21 points. And, uh, 
they have the ball. All they have to do is nil, nil. All they have to do is nil. They didn't nil. Running back fumbles the ball. And the very next play, Maryland throws a Hail Mary, scores in the end zone, and literally loses by 14 points. But I lose because I had 17. 17 yeah. And I'm just like, dude, like, how did I control that? <laughs> like, it happened too many times for me to be like, literally, like, I'm controlling the output, the, the results somehow. I'm like, I'm freaking myself out. Get out of this. So, I mean, that's good to know, though. Maybe yeah. I'll test my, my so theory. We'll just, well, any, anything that Drake's got a line we'll go on, opposite. we're going to go the opposite. Yeah. Easy cover. Easy cover. My first and only time betting, I put $250 on Utah to beat USC when Utah was number three. And then Domo Hatfield talked smack to Juju Smith-Schuster, put him in the turf, and we lost 45-21. Mm, Never yeah, touched never the No, nope. can't enough. do it. You know, yeah. it's funny that you say that you don't gamble anymore. Dude, when I started making decent money, I stopped gambling too. Dude. When I was poor, I would throw it all on the table at Vegas, dude. Yeah. Now I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, man. I mean, because if you win 10 grand, you're like, you're like okay, cool. But if you lose ten grand, you're pissed, bro. Yeah. So it's like it's in, it's not equal. Like ten grand, be like, oh, dude, that's pretty cool. Like I'm I'm happy. But literally, you lose ten grand, and you're just like, dude, I wish I would have just went to Louis Vuitton and bought a bunch of. Shit. At least I could take it better. home with exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of the shitty memory of now, now I got smoke tearing in my, up the fucking ticket. Now I, I got smoke on my lungs, and I want to kill the person on fucking third base hitting on a sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like a, dude. Speaking of funny, uh, entourage. You remember that episode when when Ari Gold is playing? Yeah, blackjack. Fuck, Vinny's bro. like he's he's like splitting. He's, the guy split tens and then ended up winning. Yeah, Ari's losing. <laughs> <it. laughs> Dude, that's one of the greatest series ever, man. Oh, it's so good. I had the the privilege on my other podcast to interview Jerry Ferrara, who's you a turtle. Did? Yeah, yeah. Dude, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what what's Ari Gold's real name? Pe- Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Piven? Piven. Get him. What has he done lately? Has he done? He's anything? been doing stand up. Has he? Yeah. Is he funny? He's really funny. He's well. He's not. He, he kind of ruffles feathers because in Hollywood he got. He, they tried to cancel him because he played grab ass with some chicks or some shit. I don't okay. know the real story. That, that's okay if they're under ten, but not okay if it's exactly, like, dude. Like if they've hit puberty, like that's too much. Anyway, got it. Good to know. Way to go, Hollywood. All right. Um, and he uh, he's been doing movies and stuff, and like, uh, um, I'm trying to think. He he's been he's been doing stand up. He came to Wise Guys here in Salt Lake. This was four years ago, three years ago, and I went and saw it. And it was stories. It wasn't traditional stand-up. He gets a lot of heat from actual comics because they're like, this guy's not a fucking comedian. He's mm. just using a celebrity to sell tickets. And I was like, so? Yeah. If he's entertaining. He had the, some really funny stories because like, there was one. Do you remember that scene in Entourage where he says to Lloyd, he's like, Lloyd, has there been so much cum squirted in your eyes that you can't see straight away? He's like talking about it. He's like, we're going to be fucked and not fucked like the way you like to get fucked. <laughs> like he's going off, right? Yeah, yeah. He tells this story because his mom – is like a true thespian. Like she's a student of the arts. She owns a theater in Chicago. Like she's all about that. And he's practicing lines with his mom. Mm. And he's telling this story where he's like having to do this thing. His mom's like, no, Jeremy, I think you should really accentuate come more. <laughs> like giving him things, um, hit, uh, tips on how to do this scene where he's talking about a dude getting bukkake mm. in his face. And he's like, yeah, my mom's kind of savage that way. And we're all dying as he's telling the story. Dude, he played Ari. Dude, I mean, that was one character. That I wish they had done a spinoff. Yeah, they should have. Yeah, almost like uh, Better Call Saul, right? It's like right. Yeah, have one. Well, Jeremy, about Jeremy, Jerry Ferrara said something really interesting about that when I talked to him on that my old podcast. He said that uh, at the end of every day, he's like Piven needed a shower. He's like that guy brought it. Mm. He was a hundred percent all the time. He's like, there's no way you can do Ari Gold as Ari Gold unless you're at a hundred. 
And he's like, and it would tax him. He's like, he'd be fucking cooked at the end of the day. Like, he, dude, that, I mean, you just take that, that series and you have those characters. So good. So good, man. Well, dude, Johnny it's, Drama, you it's got a, Johnny Drama too that was, played that part just perfectly. Okay, here's a, little, here's a little thing for you, dude. So Doug Allen, who's the writer-creator of Entourage, Kevin Neal, or Kevin Nealon, Kevin Connolly, who played E, and then uh, Kevin Dillon, who played Johnny, they have a podcast together called Victory. They do. I've never heard of it. Fucking fantastic. They basically bring on everybody from Entourage and talk about Entourage the whole time. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign on right after it's this. It's this it's such a great show because like you hear all these little insights, and as a fan of that show, I've watched that show 10 times, mm-hmm. at, I don't know, maybe more. And especially with how things are nowadays with like the cancel culture and all this like woke shit, and everybody has to be PC about everything. Like it's a time where it's like, dude, every guy wanted that life. Every guy either wanted to be Vince. Or like wanted to be in Vince's crew and to like have that sort of access and the girls and the money and all that. Like everybody wanted that. So mm-hmm. you're like peeking into this life that's like a dream life for you. Yeah. And you don't see that anymore. Nowadays. Yeah, man. That was great. Doug Allen talked about it. He's like, dude, it, he's, he's like, we could do Entourage again. It would be different though. Really? We would have to talk about wokeness. And, and it, the, the topic of how we have to navigate would be a part of it as opposed to like just being these degenerates like they were before mm. and fucking everything. Yeah, it was a good time. That was a good time that they made it though. Oh, dude, it was perfect. It was pure. It was, pu- it was pure. It was pure. Best show ever. All right, what else you got? You got a last one for me, dude? Last one is officially the Deshaun Watson saga ends with an 11-game suspension. After it was six by the judge and then Roger Goodell – um, so what's the backstory in that? Because I didn't he beat his wife or something? No, I mean he he literally went into every mas- massage studio and would just like oh, I didn't know solicit that. sex from from every massage therapist. Correct? Yeah, yeah, and had uh, non disclosure agreements provided by the Houston Texans. Twenty four <laughs> open lawsuits. They're all settled now. But uh, the so hold on. So let's recap. So he would go get a massage, and then he'd be like, "Hey, uh, you want to finish this, please? Here's a you have to sign this for me." Pretty much, yeah, dude. I mean, if you look into the stories, there's some graphic, yeah, stuff that these massage therapists would talk about him. Was he abusive or like rapey or anything, or was he just like asking? I think like pretty rapey, dude. Yeah, yeah, like pretty, like pretty rapey. I mean. It, it see, dude, the stories are like, damn, like, I hope that's not true. But then, you know, one, one person after another kept yeah. coming out. And so, I mean, to me, like, just reading some of those articles, it's pretty, like, it's pretty light sentence, in my opinion, for, especially in today's yeah. culture. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you smoke weed and you're suspended, you know, two, a whole year. There, yeah. There's like Calvin Ridley yeah. bet did a parlay, one parlay on his not the, the Falcons winning. He was out with a season ending injury. Just did one parlay on FanDuel, banned 16 games or the full season. No questions wow. asked. So there's sentences that for, for way lesser shit than this in this time period in America, like seems super light. Yeah. So is it safe to say that this was not a happy ending for Deshaun Watson? <laughs> Well, for him, I mean, to only be suspended 11 games is probably a happy ending So for it's a happy him. ending. So he got what he wanted. I wonder if you had to have somebody sign that disclosure. <laughs> dude, crazy, man. What's going on? Dude, fucking athletes, dude. These guys that get all this money and access and shit like it. What, what part of your brain is broken to where you walk into – you don't know this person. Hey, can you grab my dick, please, and finish this, this job? Finish this. Finish, finish him. <laughs> finish him. Dude. <laughs> Mortal Kombat. Oh, dude, that's the best. And it wasn't like he just found one that would do it over and over. He would. He was on a mission, dude. Like every week, a new one. He was it, preaching the gospel, man. He was, was looking for new recruits. It was like he he uh, like he felt power over finding a new finding a new one to finish him to finish him. <laughs> he's looking like fucking Bran, the three eyed raven, when he's done. Oh God. 
I won. Anyway, okay. <laughs> well, that's pr- that's pretty much it, dude. This is stand up. We fuck around. We talk about good shit, and uh, I'm super grateful you came on the show, man. Dude, I'm grateful for being here, man. Like I said, I, I truly respect what you've done and how you've grown and how you know you're you're doing awesome shit in your life and just being here is is kind of full circle for me because we did do that podcast probably 2016 2015 yeah. maybe probably it, it was, 2015. No, it was before that because we moved out of the house in 15 so it was like 2014 yeah and to see kind of both of our lives kind of take hold of of where i think both of us knew that we had it in us we just couldn't access it in that moment Dude, I, i'll give you props back man like I watch what you're doing and it inspires me every time. Thank like you. Every day. I'm like, dude, fucking Matt. I remember there's there's two hilarious stories I remember about you and, and your lovely wife. My wife and I were at your place in Draper. We were drinking we were drinking wine one night, and Nin was wanting to, you know, be an affiliate for our buddy Terry Shanahan's program. Yep. And you're like, the internet ain't fucking going nowhere, dude. Like, you're talking shit about how the internet, you can't sell anything on the internet. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, she's the right one here, John. She's always right, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a clip. I'll give it to her. Dude, give it to her. She'll be like, of course, I need to know that all the time. She needs to know that all the time. All yes. the time, yeah. So there was that. And then there was, uh, oh, what was the other one? Um, oh, fuck. Um, it was along the same lines where it's just like watching you f- do what you're doing is really inspiring. I was adamant that I couldn't sell fitness online. I know. I that remember. was one of those beliefs, right? Yeah. Like now I sell a shitload of fitness online, but in that moment, I remember that. Like I was getting pissed off you were, at both you worked of you. Up. And uh, it was yeah, funny yeah. to me. I'm like, this is, this is not the hill to die on, bro. My wife will do this, but actually she, it's because she's right. She'll like this. Like she'll, she'll, uh, I feel like she's in cahoots with people and yeah. they like, they're teaming up against me. It's like <laughs> her and Bryce in this moment was like, no, nah, dude, you're, you, you've lost it. And I'm like, it won't work. And it's like, Long story short, about a lot of what we talked about, like how could it work if that was my belief system? Right. Right That was why I was where I was at, right? And so it was like ripping that shit out was a lot of work, man. But I'm glad you were able to see see that kind of. Well, dude, that I remember that with uh, you know a a smirk on my face because of how well you're doing, yeah, and how those two guys, if they were to meet, you would beat the shit out of that guy. Beat the shit out of that guy. This fucking idiot. What is he talking about? (laughs) Yeah, is he man. stupid? I don't get this. Yeah. But because of how, and, and I, I, I look at that going like, because I've, I've had to, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even close to where I want to be when it comes to everything, but like, I've had to really fix some shit in my head. Mm-hmm. And it's like everybody around me that in this, in this beautiful circle, the upgrade guys, you, like some of the Yaki, the clients I've had, they all have these stories where like, dude, I was so fucked up in the head. And then this one thing happened and then another thing happened. It's like, I'm in the middle of that process of those things happening. And I'm like, and I'm still stumbling towards massive success. Mm-hmm. Like nothing feels fluid and, and like easy and everything. It, well, sometimes it feels easy. Nothing feels like just smooth. Yeah, bro. So like I'm just, dude, I'm, I mean, I'm like I, drunk walking towards success and it works. Yeah. I'm getting there, you know? Dude, you keep one foot in front of the other, man. That, that, that's what separates those who do and those who don't. Yeah, I love it, man. Well, uh, where should we send people to find out who John Matson is outside of this interview? Yeah, I mean, I think that Instagram would probably be the, the easiest space okay. that's where i keep up with most uh most people who want to interact with me it's at john madsen official and then you produce my show that has 225 episodes yeah. and you can find that on on itunes the show with john madsen and it's on all the other platforms too so ladies make sure you bring a towel when you watch his instagram stuff because he is quite an attractive man so just make sure you got you can handle the thank you <laughs> 
All right, guys. Anyway, thanks for watching Stand Up. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share, subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, engage. Send me a DM if you have any questions that you want me to pull up on anybody I've got coming on here. And uh, take it easy, friends. See you.